Only on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Emily Moshak, and I am joined in studio by my co-host... I'm J.D. Layton. Our investigative reporter. Raven Color. And our other reporter, who we haven't given a title Whose to yet. The title is TBD as of right now, Katie Otter. But she does a lot of Hello. great stuff for us, so we're glad <laughs> that she's here. Yeah, you never make it on the show, so we're excited to have you uh, finally a part of the gaggle. Uh, it's it's good wow. to be back with you guys. <laughs> so, it's so been a while. Good, we're glad to have you, Katie. <laughs> and we also have another special guest in studio, Stephanie Fernandez, who is the general manager of Club Pilates in Fort Collins, which just opened, right? Yes. All right. Well, when so you opened two weeks ago? We open the Old Town location at the end of August, and we just open our second location in Front Range at the end of September. So, yeah, just about two weeks ago. Great. That oh, is awesome. Right. Well, thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. Thank you. So for those who aren't as familiar, can you explain kind of what Pilates is and how it might be different than yoga? Because I know a lot of people kind of think Pilates and yoga are very kind of the same thing. Well, they're symbiotic, definitely. Um Pilates uh, and what we do at our studio mostly is equipment-based. So whereas yoga, you're typically working with a mat and your body and gravity and you have postures and asanas, Pilates has a uh, systematic form of exercise that you're utilizing different pieces of apparatus that are spring-based mostly, and then those are your uh, resistance like instead of weights, that would be like the resistance that you have. Uh, a lot of times you're working in all sorts of uh, different positions, whether you're lying down, sometimes you have your feet in the straps, you have um, kind of in a plank position, but you're actually pushing against resistance. So a little bit different than yoga in where it's really more of a science-based exercise versus uh, like spiritual now, why might Pilates be a good workout option for college students? We're kind of busy, don't have too much time, so uh, what, what's sort of the appeal to Pilates? So for really all ranges of people, once you're pretty much tall enough to fit on the equipment, Pilates is great. I've even started putting my 12-year-old into the studio. <laughs> um, I've noticed as a teacher that more and more of our student student life and young adults are coming out of high school sports or even college sports and they have a lot of imbalances and injury. So Pilates is really good for rebalancing the body and aligning a lot of those overdone muscles and uh, let's say joints that have probably overworked and then maybe if they've stopped doing that sport they're now sitting at a desk all day or studying a lot and Pilates is really helpful for finding that balance and improving those conditions and then helping someone to age later on without so many injuries. When you say equipment um, 
What do you mean exactly? Because that comes into my head like a traditional gym, like with all those machines. Is it kind of like that? Or is there specific Pilates equipment? No, there's definitely specific Pilates equipment. So Pilates was designed and invented by Joseph Pilates back in the early 1900s. He um, came to the United States after World War One. And during the war, he actually was recognized because he started developing equipment based off of the springs of the bed in a um, kind of an infirmary <laughs> and helped to strengthen his patients with, that were in the war who couldn't maybe sit up or even stand. So he started developing this apparatus called the, the main piece is called the reformer. And uh, so it looks a little bit like a sled on the on the ground it's about uh, two feet off the ground and it has all these different springs that attach and then it has straps so you can push with your legs you can grab the straps and hold with your arms you can stand on it and do like downward dog positions and planks and things like that and push against resistance but while working all of your different muscles so you're working your shoulders your abs it's huge for core strength your hips your hamstrings you, you basically get a full body workout in um, and that's just one piece of apparatus. There's several others he designed. He actually, back when he landed in New York, started trying to sell his equipment at Macy's in New York. <laughs> yeah. And he actually designed for his wife this piece that we now call the exochair that actually converted into, it was like the first household piece of uh, home gym equipment because it was a chair with springs that if you converted it, it was literally a living room seat. That's kind of mm. cool. Yeah. That is nice. I know. I want one. Oh, yeah. I need more seats in my house. Yeah. Do With springs. So you can like, work on it. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Get a little so you're watching the game. It's you're a, stretching. It's a dual purpose type of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Do your classes use equipment in every single one of them, or do you have yes. mat work, too? We do offer um, mat part as part of the class. So mat is actually really hard because you don't have any help. So a lot of the mat work that Joseph Pilates designed was designed for a, a really healthy spine, which, as we've, you know, realized in the last 50 years, most of us sit way too much and we have a hard time getting up and out, up and down off the floor. So uh, we do utilize mat work within our classes. We also have seven other different types of pieces besides, so we have the reformer and the chair that I mentioned, and then we have five other pieces that we use that both aid and then act as resistance. So you either help you or make it harder. Okay. Now, you sort of mentioned that Pilates was low impact. And is, is that necessarily like a product of using these like springs to sort of build muscles in ways that you typically wouldn't do that are, are, are more like strenuous or something like that? Can you sort of explain that a little more? Yeah. So everybody knows what squats look like, right? You're standing, right. but a lot of people have actually, if you have those imbalances I'm talking about, you actually probably don't bend right. So if you take that squat and you put it lying down on your back with your feet on what's called the foot bar and you press against resistance, you've taken gravity out of the equation. And so what happens is then you're working those muscles um, with the spring tension, you're working both directions. So you're working on like the tightening of the muscle and you're also working on the lengthening of the muscle. So when we talk about balance and things like that, you're always working in both directions versus uh, more traditional like weights where you typically are working on tightening and building versus lengthening. So mm -hmm. Pilates apparatus helps to aid in that and it's low impact because oftentimes you're, you're lying down 
for especially in the beginning, like if you're doing a, a beginner type of class, you're lying on your back, and uh, you're taking out a lot of, a lot of those um, imbalances that happen if you're standing up. We tend to, you know, if you have a knee injury that's old or ankle or hip, and you try to do squats, you typically are going to do them incorrectly. So you can correct those things on the reformer or on other pieces. Okay, and with you, the teacher, you mentioned uh, a beginner class, so I take it there are, are, are different levels to these sort of spring tensions increase as that goes along, or is yes. it different types of exercises? Different types of exercises. There's thousands of different exercises that we have in our repertoire. Um, Club Pilates itself defines um, our classes based off of levels, so we have uh, level one to level one point five. I kind of say that if we ever get to level three, you're going to be doing cartwheels on the equipment. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait till get there. Um, but level one, we call it a foundations class. So it's for people who maybe typically have more conditions that they are concerned about but still want to exercise um, and or just brand new at it. So you're building a really good base of foundational work. And then you understand what the teacher says when they talk about your core or talk about certain muscles. And they kind of get that. Uh, base and then they move up to what we call progressions and then the level two is getting into mastery how long (laughs) how long would you spend in a a level before you get to move up it just depends on what your situation is one of the beautiful things about pilates is it really is for every body we typically don't turn anybody away based off of injury or age or weight so wherever you're coming from is how long really is going to It'll depend on how long you need to stay in a level. If you're a healthy human being and you're just coming off and wanting to do Pilates to add to your exercise routine and want to get creative, you could do one or two one, like foundation classes and then move up. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you're sort of a, a, a teacher of teachers. Can you sort of explain your, your teacher prog- training program? Sure. So I've been teaching Pilates for over 20 years. And I actually um, am a master trainer for Club Pilates. So we run a uh, teacher training program twice a year. That is a 500-hour, basically, certification program to become a teacher in Pilates. So I oversee the program, and students typically spend, um, you know, on a really short scale, three months to a year completing the program and learning how to be a teacher. That's great. And then... It's already been open, but you're having a grand opening, right? Yes. I know. We had our soft open, which is kind of like, okay, we're opening the doors, and we have our founding members who we love. Thank you. And uh, the grand opening is really our last big uh, hurrah of, okay, we're offering discounted memberships. We're having retail sales. We have other health and wellness vendors who will come and, uh, you know, co-partner with us and offer some of their special things as well. Okay, that's awesome. When is the grand opening? So the grand opening for Old Town is this weekend. And what we're doing is we've added some classes to the schedule of all different types and levels. So we also offer, um, you know, besides the levels, we have different types of classes. So some have different focus, like cardio Pilates and balancing Pilates, things like that. So we've uh, opened this schedule. So we are inviting the community to come and try out any of the classes they would like. Uh, So that'll happen Saturday and Sunday mornings, usually starting around 8 till about 1. And then our actual grand open with our vendors and kind of, yay, party people, will be from uh, 2 to 5 on Saturday. 
at the Old Town location. Okay. Out of uh, curiosity, because you mentioned a couple other different types of classes, um, what what are all the types of classes you offer? Okay. Yeah. So our basic Pilates uh, is called the flow class, and that one has four different levels. So that's usually where people start with the level one flow. We also offer a class called the cardio sculpt. There's a flat piece of um, apparatus that fits on the end of the reformer that you lighten up the springs and you jump while lying down. It's so much fun. (laughs) It seems like you're flying and you get your heart rate up, but what's cool is you're lying down. So again, it's less of an impact and actually easier on your heart for people who have heart concern. There is a control class, which is uh, utilizing the bar. So we have a bar method designed specifically for Club Pilates. And it's the bar is available for you, but a lot of the class is actually done just standing and working on your balance and your bum, basically, (laughs) because it's a lot of, like, hip work. Um, Then there is a suspend class. So have you ever seen the TRX? I have no idea what that is. Well, we got to work on the... CSU gym equipment. No, we do. We um, do. <laughs> oh my god! So the TRX is called the uh, suspension trainer. It's a yellow and black band that tie, you can tie it to literally anything. Oh, that's okay. High. I, I know what that I is. Okay. I, did, I just did not know that's what it was called. I'm learning. Yes. Yeah, so we have so much. A, we have a class that has um, TRX is co-partnered with us as well and designed um, Pilates exercises specifically for the TRX. So that's fun. It's definitely a starting at a 1.5. So we don't have too many beginner classes like that. Um, and then we also have a restore class. So there's a special. Uh, you guys have seen the foam rollers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those things. Well, there's one called the trigger point foam roller that has a little bumps and lines on it, and it actually helps do like myofascial release. So that particular class is all about relaxation, releasing, stretching out your muscles. And then our last one is called center and balance, and that one is more for just stretching. So it's uh, still a class with the apparatus, but your f- focus is on lengthening the body. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Do you have anything else you want to mention about Club Pilates or the grand opening, anything like that? Um, No, just that we're super excited to be part of the Fort Collins community. And uh, I'd just love to see more people in the studio and excited to celebrate the grand opening this weekend. That's awesome. Well, we are excited to have Club Pilates here in Fort Collins. And remember, listeners, if you would like, you can check out that grand opening in Old Town this weekend. That was Stephanie Fernandez from Club Pilates. Thank you so much for being here again. Yeah, of course. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We're going to take a quick break before we head to local news. Stay tuned. It's 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I'm your host, Emily Mashak, joined in studio by my co-host. Howdy, howdy. That's me, J.D. Layton. We are also joined in studio by our very own reporter, whose title is yet to be decided. Hello, it's me, Katie Otter. As well as our local investigative reporter, Raven Keller. And we have some local news for you today, J.D. We do. With Tony Frank's announcement that he's stepping down as CSU's president, CSU's Board of Governors has announced the official formation of a presidential search advisory committee to find his replacement reports, Emma Iannacone, of the Collegian. The search committee will become compromised of 
compromised, comprised of 16 members of the Board of Governors and CSU representatives with notable figures such as Vice President for Student Affairs Blanche Hughes, Associated Students of CSU President Tristan Sayron, and Fort Collins Mayor Wade Troxell. The next steps for the committee will be identifying and interviewing candidates before passing their recommendations on to the Board of Directors who are the final say on hiring the new president. CSU is planning on conducting listening sessions with the community to see what it is looking for in a new university president. It's sad to see Tony Frank go. I'm uh, I'm not ready for it. You know, been here four years. He's been here the entire time, and now he's he's gone, and my heart is breaking. <laughs> I know it's it is going to be a bummer, but I'm also graduating, so yeah, we're going to be gone <laughs> when I know. he leaves. So. We'll, we'll leave with Tony Frank. <laughs> it'll yeah. matter very little in the end, honestly, for us. But it still breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's always sad to see someone go. It but is. he'll be around, right? He'll stay on as chancellor. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll be here. His, him and his goatee will be yeah, around campus still. <laughs> the beard will be here. Never fear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... The search continues for a hiker who went missing earlier this month on October 4th while attempting to climb Long's Peak, reports Sandy Swanson of the Coloradoan. The hiker, Ryan Albert, was attempting to summit Long's Peak through the Keyhole Route, where he failed to return, and his rental car was found the next day. Winter conditions have been preventing crews from searching the park area. Spokesperson for the park, Kyle Patterson, stated, quote, we will continue to make decisions on park search efforts based on the conditions of the keyhole route, as well as the safety of our search team so we can have the most success in finding Ryan Albert, end quote. Ground teams have searched the lower areas with dog teams and helicopter, and helicopter teams scored the higher elevations last, late last night, I'm sorry, late last week, with the rescuers pouring over the footage for any clues regarding the hiker's whereabouts. Albert was last seen at 10.30 a.m. on October 4th, and rangers are asking that if anyone knows any details about his planned route to call 970-486-1204. 13 communities in Colorado and Colorado Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman are suing Purdue Pharma for its role in the opioid epidemic. The lawsuit accuses Purdue Pharma of not clarifying the risks of prescribed opioids and violating the Colorado Consumer Protection Act, according to the Coloradoan. The lawsuit also claims that, quote, Purdue's habit-forming medications, coupled with their reckless marketing, have robbed children of their parents and families of their sons and daughters, end quote. Kaufman states that this lawsuit is just starting and that her office will continue to investigate the issue. Purdue Pharma denies Colorado's allegations and says that their opioid prescriptions are less than 2% of their distributed medications. In response to deceptive labeling claims, Purdue Pharma says their labeling is FDA-approved, which is why they think the lawsuit is inappropriate. I think that's interesting going after the labeling of it, um, especially just like given the, the, the nature of opioids themselves. It's, it seems like they're just trying to more get the word out there rather than anything else from from what it seems but i I mean that's just me yeah no i agree i mean i don't know how much that would exactly solve the problem i feel like the source of addiction is definitely a lot from doctors i would think but not necessarily yeah how it's labeled but i feel like 
when patients are like their doctors like i'm gonna or prescribe you oxycodone you're gonna get addicted to it and if you can't keep up the prescription you very well might turn to other opioids then like patients aren't gonna be like okay great like sign me up let's do it like if they're like yeah. forced to be real about what's going on with these pills that their doctors are giving them yeah i mean definitely like throwing a big you will immediately get addicted label onto this <laughs> not that that's actually how it works but you know something like that definitely might deter uh overconsumption hopefully although i guess yeah. they have those all over cigarettes and you still see people with those every single day yeah, it's hard to stop packing darts the kids vape now, remember oh the vape that's <laughs> oh, true yeah, that's that's even worse than but the even cigarettes. the juice the juice vape or vape juice it says don't vape. this is will cause have cancer you, and it's horrible for you. <laughs> and have you guys friend. seen the cigarette uh, packaging from like Europe? Oh, yeah. yeah, with the it's like, like the dying graphic images and like yeah. black long and it's just disgusting. Yeah. I think the big difference is a lot of people who get addicted to opioids don't necessarily know what their doctors are giving them or like what they're getting when they pick stuff up from the pharmacy. But like you know what you're getting when you pick up a pack of cigarettes. Like, yeah, you right. know what's happening. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah, definitely awareness. Is always good, regardless of, I guess, the labeling, for sure. Okay, my turn. (laughs) (laughs) A family which fell victim to a Denver rental scam found aid in the police officers who responded to a report of trespassing squatters, reports the Denver Post. Officer Gordon Sieb and Elder Gillen Pena responded to a report of squatters at a property on North Grant Street and discovered that that the family in the home had been scammed on Zillow. They had done all the legal steps to move into the home, but the post they responded to was a clone of a legitimate rental offer. The family had spent all their money uh, in the scam, and when the officers contacted the real estate, uh, the real uh, property owner, they found out that another family was set to move in in a few days. Gordon and Gillian Pena worked with the property management company to find another place for the family to live and negotiated a free first month. The officers and property management company also found movers who could help the family move as they had spent all their money making the scam move. Rental scams have been uh, prevalent in Denver in the last few years, and an estimated 5.2 million U.S. renters have lost money on rental scams, according to a 2018 poll. Now that is some top-notch community policing, the Denver Police Department said on Facebook. That is absolutely uh, absurd. That That is like yeah. one of the things that would, like, terrifies me, you yeah. know, going out into the real world. It's like, oh, I gotta find a rental place to live. Lo and behold, I'm gonna be one of those buffoons that stumbles into <laughs> a, uh, a rental scam. Yeah. And uh, I'm not gonna get such nice Denver police to help me. Yeah, I, this I have poll, a sneaky suspicion. The poll also mentioned that um, young renters are often the ones who fall victim to these scams. So if you're a young person trying to rent, Careful. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. Well, I mean, even, I'm a college student myself, and all the paperwork on leases, I'm just like, ah, I don't know what any of this means. So I could definitely, and that, that would probably happen to me. So watch out, guys. Yeah. yeah. For all I know, when I sign my latest lease, I, you know, promise to give them both my legs when I leave. Yeah. Well, I thought, I thought the funniest thing about this whole story is that in the, like, police report, they described the family getting distraught after they were like, hey, you can't be here. You don't actually live here. That was a scam. I was like, of course they were distraught. Right. I'd be freaking out. I'd be a little bit more than distraught. distraught. I know. Yeah, that would definitely not 
be fun. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, and we're going to kick it off with Raven Kohler again, going into national news. Hooray. Uh, the reins of 11 babies were discovered in the ceiling of a formal, former funeral home in Detroit, reports CBS News. State investigators found the bodies after receiving an anonymous letter, which accurately detailed the scene at the Contrail Funeral Home. Police said eight or nine of the bodies were in cardboard boxes, and the rest were in one or more caskets. Some of the remains were identified, and police are attempting to contact the families. Why these remains are in the ceiling and how they were, uh, how why they're there, uh, is still undetermined. Detroit Police Lieutenant Brian Bowser said he was upset, quote, by the callousness, end quote, of whoever left these babies in the ceiling. The Kentrell Funeral Home was shut down in April after state inspectors found decomposing embalmed bodies, two improperly stored bodies covered in what appeared to be mold, and a third body with unknown fluid covering the face along with other violations. So that's a nightmare. Did you say in the ceiling? Yes, yes. in the oh ceiling. My gosh. According this... to the, the police, they had to climb a ladder to get to the place where oh. the bodies had been stored. This mm. is like the start of a horror movie. Like this is the type of thing that you see in like the plot where like that's oh. I can't Ugh. even fathom why why why? When, and on top of that, it yeah. sounds like they didn't really do anything right with all of the other yeah. bodies they had in the funeral home like it was a and i couldn't imagine you know it's such a a terrible time for family and you're expecting that you can trust these people that you're handing your loved ones right. remains over to and then you find out that they're hiding babies mm-hmm. bodies in the ceiling and like letting bodies go bad in their workspace and that's just you never want to know that when you're entrusting somebody with your family members remains yeah no that's disgusting but hopefully now that the police are involved they'll be able to reunite the families and their loved ones yes yes all right democratic senator and prospective presidential candidate elizabeth warren of massachusetts has released her dna results indicating strong evidence that she has native american ancestry according to the daily beast The DNA analysis concluded that most of Warren's ancestry is European, but supports the existence of a Native American ancestor in her pedigree, most likely in the range of around six to ten generations ago. President Trump, who was fond of calling Warren Pocahontas, said at a rally in Montana in July that he would give $1 million to charity if Warren were to take a DNA test and it, quote, shows you're an Indian, end quote. But after the DNA report came out yesterday, Trump refuted that he ever promised money to charity, asking, quote, who cares, unquote, and saying, quote, I didn't say that. You better read it again, end quote, reports CNN. A fact check uh, conducted by Snopes concludes that President Trump did, in fact, say that he would donate one million dollars to charity if Warren took a DNA test and proved her Native American ancestry. Can we expect to see Elizabeth Warren running on the Democratic ticket in the 2020 presidential election? As of right now, it looks like she is strongly considering running. On Saturday, September 29th, Warren announced at a town hall meeting in Massachusetts that she promises that she will, quote, take a hard look, end quote, at running for president in 2020 after the midterm elections are over, reports the New York Times. That is, just kidding. I was just going to say, like, a lot there. That was yeah. That was a little dense. I'm I'm 
surprised <clears throat> that uh, well, I'm not surprised actually that uh, Trump said something like that. No, and that no, he didn't I'm not. donate. And now but I hope he does eventually. It. Hopefully, yeah. Although at the same time, I don't know how much I would classify six to ten generations ago. Yeah, that is. I feel like almost anybody. But he said if she takes a DNA test, he didn't specify. That right, is true. But Emily's right too, especially people with like European descent. You know, probably gonna find at least one Native American ancestor S- somewhere, somewhere back, somewhere back yeah. there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I read a lot of articles uh, about you know people aren't very happy with Warren taking that test. It seems you know, like she's just sort of grabbing for like. A, a minority card maybe which yeah. seems like a little bit of a like a, a low political move to try and gain an edge in right. a, a campaign season you know what though if trump is as rich as he says he is a million dollars to a charity is chump right. change right <laughs> you mean trump change, trump change. <laughs> oh, oh my yeah so it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes of this if anything at all yeah i'm sure we'll definitely hear more about it as we get closer yes. to 2020 The discussion about what happened to the missing Saudi journalist continues as world leaders are meeting to determine what happened. Jamal Khashoggi, a Saudi Arabian journalist who was critical of his own government, disappeared on October 2nd inside of the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, where he was attempting to get the paperwork he needed to marry his fiancée, according to USA Today. Many suspect that Khashoggi was either captured or killed inside of the consulate, as there is no surveillance footage showing him exiting the building. His fiancée was waiting for him outside and says she has not heard from him since that day. Media outlets such as the Washington Post and CNN claim that U.S. officials reportedly had intelligence revealing that Saudi Arabia planned to capture him. Other sources suggested that Saudi Arabia was going to admit to killing Khashoggi, but explain it as an operation gone wrong. The consulate was searched for nine hours yesterday, although the results of the investigation have not been determined. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will fly to Ankara, Turkey, tomorrow to discuss the case with Turkish leaders. He spoke with Saudi leaders earlier today. The Trump administration is expected to hold a news conference sometime soon to discuss the situation. That's a lot, too. Yeah. These are some dense stories. Yeah. I had heard on NPR yesterday, I think, though, the interesting thing about this journalist is he used to work really closely with the Saudi government. He was, like, he advised royals and was, like, really involved, and then he, like, changed his mind. and Yeah, so it definitely wouldn't surprise me that there's a lot of tension between him and the government over there. Sears filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, forcing them to close 140 or 146 stores by the end of this year. Chapter 11 bankruptcy means Sears still controls its business operations, but has final financial responsibilities with the court. Sears CEO Eddie Lambert, who has been criticized for, quote, debt deals, has resigned from the CEO position, but remains chairman, according to USA Today. Lampert is the company's biggest investor and believes bankruptcy will allow the company to, quote, continue right-sizing its operating model and return to profitability. The online shopping culture has caused Sears to close hundreds of stores in recent years, so this bankruptcy is not surprising to many. However, another factor of the bankruptcy goes back to 2003 when Sears sold their $30 billion credit portfolio. This portfolio could have helped them avoid current debts by providing a consistent source of money. 
Now Sears has had to sell signature brands like Craftsman and Whirlpool to compensate for their debts. That, you know, for me, this isn't too terribly, like, it's like whatever. Sears is, like, that store that my parents go to. But for, like, my parents' <laughs> generation, this stuff, like, hurts. I'll, I'll have you know that both of my grandparents bought a house from a Sears catalog. Let that wow. sink huh. in. <laughs> the Sears was truly the Amazon of its day. They yeah. bought a house from a catalog. I guess you can't buy a house on Amazon. But... That's crazy. I don't know. I think the interesting <laughs> thing here is, you know, we're talking about Amazon is a lot of like chain retail stores like this, like right. department stores are going under. And like, I know I want to say it's Macy's, but they mm. privatized their stock so that their CEO could just like totally change it because a lot of people who own stock are on the older side and they're not necessarily willing to like make the changes you need to be a physical store and be competitive in an online in an online like market. shopping era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Us darn millennials. I know. I know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly, I like in-store shopping better. Yeah. Because I like to be able to try something on and see if it actually looks good on me. Right. Because then you have to go through the pain of, like, sending it back mm-hmm. if you have right. to return it. It's just... <laughs> I just always remember if anybody else is from Fort Collins, we had a Sears in our old um, mall, and they had, you know, that, like, high-pitched stuff that they play so the kids don't loiter in stores they're like outside of gas stations they'll pay like play like a really what? high frequency because I've older people can't hear it so it doesn't bother them at all but like middle schoolers can hear it so they don't like just like hang out wow what? i used to have that at the sears I, <laughs> I did not know that but if you were a middle schooler hanging out outside the sears you mm-hmm. probably had better things to do with your time anyway <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is all we have for national news. But stick around because we have a special guest coming on to tell us about the very first original Ram Skeller beer here on CSU. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. This is 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am one of two news directors here at 90.5 KCSU. I am J.D. Layton. I am joined in studio by the other news director. I'm Emily Mashek, And then we also have our reporter, Katie Otter, here. Hello. As well as our uh, local investigative reporter who is in the far corner of the room. I'm here. <laughs> as well as our second interview guest, Jeffrey Valdez, the assistant director for Lori Dining Services, to talk to us a little bit about uh, the Skiller's new beer, uh, Ale Alumni, if I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, it Homecoming Ale Alumni, Golden Ale. Mm. Ah. So it's a little long. Um, I like it that way. a while to get there. <laughs> Very CSU spirit. I like that a lot. So for our listeners who might not be famil- familiar with the uh, alumni, uh, can you describe the beer a little bit? Sure. Um, light in color. Uh, it is a Kolsch, technically. We call it a golden ale. But, you know, people have a perceived notion of what a golden ale is in their head. But it is a Kolsch top, um, warm fermented with a ale yeast, but uh, fermented at a colder temperature like a lager would be. So... Um, 5.6% ABV, um, very crisp. This recipe has been worked on for years by the FTEC 422 class, um, dialing in a little bit more each year. So we wanted to come out very strong, and I felt we did. So there was some high expectations for this beer, and definitely 
were exceeded. We did have the brewing community here on Friday to try it and got some great feedback. And um, yeah, I mean, the first beer, and we look forward to adding to that portfolio moving forward. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on Thank finally you. working that through and getting that out. Could you tell us a little bit about the process throughout the years of coming to the flavor and creating the beer? Uh, I think the program would be a little bit better with that. They have brewed it in Gifford a number of times on a smaller system in that Gifford brewery. Um, this is kind of a partnership, the fermentation science and technology program with mm, the okay. Ramskeller. So because this is served exclusively there, um, they've wanted to view our product mix and see what works well with students in the campus community that we served. So we wanted something drinkable, light. We decided to filter it and clean it up. Um, it looks light, crisp, and um, yeah, we definitely had a, a, a very sessionable. So people are trying it more than a couple of times, one or two times. So That's good. So it's definitely on the lighter side for those who aren't super heavy beer drinkers. It is. It is for this one. We are mixing it up. We're actually... Going back to the lab next week and brewing a winter warmer ale. So the program's going to do that um, in a smaller batch size. We are kind of running out of weeks in this semester, but that's next on tap in addition to the one that's sitting in the fermenter right now as well. So where did this idea for alumni sort of come from? Is it a, in response to like 50 years of the, the, the Skeller or 150 years of CSU sort of all falling in together? You know, the, the timing couldn't have worked out better with the 50th and everything else that was going on. We still have a lot of time in front of us this year. Um, the brewery was designed as kind of a student laboratory for Gifford. We're in a very big beer scene here in northern Colorado. And um, we asked the program to push it up a little bit. We were going to release it this Thursday at the Ramskeller's 50th. But because another purpose served by the brewery is as an alumni showpiece, we thought, what better way than to bring it out the Friday of homecoming? We had so many families, so many alumni on campus in the building for the parade, for the fireworks, for everything else, and that couldn't have worked out better for us. So they, the program did a lot of work to make that happen with production and, and, and getting it ready to serve to the public. So hats off to them. That's awesome. Is it going to be a permanent feature on the Ramskeller menu, or is it kind of a seasonal thing just for homecoming? You know, by jumping the gun a little bit, uh, we have a meeting tomorrow to find out what kind of flexibility we have in using CSU branded names, uh, stuff on campus in our beer names. Mm -hmm. So we had to we had to name it something, and we'll reevaluate, kind of reflect on this beer and its performance in the Ram Skeller and kind of decide if this is going to be a flagship and available year-round or if this is going to be kind of a one-and-done batch as you see in a lot of microbreweries around town. Mm -hmm. That prospect excites me. I quite enjoyed the beer when I had it. I was surprised okay. at how crisp and fruity it was. So my oh. hopes are that it sticks around. That'll go a long me. way. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to try it. Is I'm there excited. any chance of it getting bottled and sold anywhere? Oh man, we got to walk before we run. <laughs> um, yes, we have big, big visions. Yeah. Um, but this this idea has been in works for about seven years. We got into the eleventh oh, wow. hour 
of the design phase for the lorry renovation um, that was completed in 2014. So we were fortunate there. And it took a village to get this open, approved by health department, codes, buildings, all that fun stuff. And then we, we still have some challenges with steam mm. that we're working on, but we're, we're brewing. And we'd love to get to a point where we are able to do that. But being such a new endeavor, we want to we wanna master this first part before we decide where we go from here. Very cool. So touching back to the, the Ramscaler itself, it is approaching 50 Friday, correct? Or Thursday. Yep. Um, wow. Can you sort of tell us a little bit about the history behind the Scaler? Oh, you're going to learn a lot more about the history of the Scaler Thursday afternoon. So <laughs> we knew we had a full year to capture that 2018. The actual beer in date is on this Thursday, the 18th, when the first drops were poured. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Ramskeller 50 years ago. Um, so there's a lot of stuff through archives you can read about. I know ASCSU is involved uh, for an event later that afternoon. Um, there's a lot of facts. There's a lot of theories. We The drinking age back then was 18 plus. So just having a place here on campus for 3-2 beer and above in a more controlled environment where people could just walk right back to their dorms at the end of the day was was a good thing and it's gone through a lot of changes over the decades the drinking age changed in 87 to 21 and um yeah we've kind of been <laughs> rolling with the punches since then so a lot of challenges but a lot of excitement so the Ramskeller got a a full full license in 2003 and that's when they were able to start serving new belgium and showcasing some of the local products here on a very up-and-coming beer scene and um, increased a a few tap handles. And and when we came out of the renovation, we added a lot of food. We weren't really redesigned. We weren't designed with food in mind after prior to the renovation. So to add, you know, hoods and some fantastic equipment to go hand-in-hand with, um, you know, um, the beer we have on tap has been win-win so far for four years now. So we're excited to celebrate it all and invite some guests here um, this Thursday and afternoon. And um, should be fun. So I, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's awesome, that's awesome. Um, Do you have anything else you wanna add or talk about it, get in about the beer before the 50th? I'd get in trouble if I did. (laughs) I was was warned ahead of time, but yes, we are very excited. We're very proud with this first beer. The program put a lot of work into it, and um, we're excited to see where the program can go with this. I mean, these these grads and the students in this program are in a very state-of-art brewery, so... Out of... It uh, it is... Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Out of curiosity... um, what types of things can we expect f- during the 50th uh, uh, celebration? There we go. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of in-house internally, so we are doing a lot of prizes, giveaways. We're doing specials. We're having a birthday cake. We're having um, – we have an MC for it. We have some cool prizes throughout the afternoon. We're showcasing – we actually – got to brew with both New Belgium and Odell's special beers for this anniversary. Oh. So we brewed late July a lavender cream ale um, from with Odell's that is there right now. It's very unique. And um, just yesterday we, we tapped a, a pumpkin honey alfalfa beer. And 
it's got some cinnamon in it, but and it's a little on the sweet side. But we've gotten really good feedback on that, so those will both be sh- um, showcased that afternoon as well at the same time. That's awesome. Along with the homecoming ale. Great, awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was Jeffrey Valdez from the Laurier Dining Center. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank and, you for having me. Yeah, of course. And if you'd like, definitely be sure to check out the 50th anniversary celebration on Thursday and give that new A alumni a A alumni. Oh, that's hard to say, but <laughs> it's good though. Give it a try. <laughs> we'll be right back after this quick break with sports. But you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I am J.D. Layton, one of two news directors. I am joined in studio by... Emily Mashak. The other news director, as well as our reporters... Katie Otter. And Raven Color. As well as Sprots. I, I mean, sports. <laughs> Funny. I, I'm Ray McGowan, the sports director here at KCSU. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Ray. Can you tell us about how we won our CSU homecoming football game? Oh, boy. Yes, I will. In fact, uh, CSU won the homecoming game off a last-second field goal. The Colorado State University Rams hosted the New Mexico University Lobos this past Saturday to a sold-out homecoming game. CSU had an up-and-down season so far with blowout losses to Colorado, Florida, and even the FCS team, Illinois State. Uh, the Rams have had inconsistent play, to say the least, switching out quarterbacks uh, between KJ Carr Samuels and Colin Hill. New Mexico has found better success with uh, at the quarterback position uh, with Tavaka Tatu. I'm going to pronounce this horribly. Sorry, uh, Tuoiti. There we go. Got it that time uh, at the helm. But after a collarbone injury was knocked out, and QB Sharon Jones has done a fantastic job filling in. In the first half, CSU came out strong out of the gate with New Mexico's. Uh, running back Tyron Owens fumbled and turned over the ball inside their own 20-yard line, which allowed K.J. Carr-Samuels to throw a touchdown pass to wide receiver Preston Williams. Uh, of course, New Mexico was able to find some success on the ground, whether it came through running back Owens or through their quarterback Sharon Jones' uh, scrambles. However, the same Rams front seven that had six sacks against San Jose State University came to play and denied Lobos on a fourth and one at the Rams' four-yard line. It was a fantastic job so far during the first half. They were up 14 to three. However, the second half is where things got interesting. A five-yard pass to wide receiver Dylan Hart Johnson from Sharon Jones by New Mexico late in the game was able to put New Mexico in the lead, 18 to 17. Of course, this is where every single Ram fan in the stadium had their hearts basically stopped and start again, and then stopped again. The Rams were able to drive all the way down to the field. An inch away from the end zone, and they lined up for a field goal for kicker Wyatt Bryan, where he missed. He missed the shortest field goal possible. Luckily, CSU's defense was able to make one last stop, and CSU drove down the field and gave Wyatt Bryan one last chance. And this time, he made it. Wyatt Bryan, of course, made a 27-yard field goal to seal the homecoming game for the Rams, Letting the clock run out, doing a fantastic job, and giving everyone in the stadium, many parents, many alumni, and many fans, a sigh of relief. Uh, after the game, Mike Bobo ha- uh, said, It wasn't pretty, but that's what we are right now. We are growing and we are learning. There's st- still a lot of room for us to grow. Uh, of course, Colorado State will face off against Boise State in Boise October 19th. And man, that game, I, can- I couldn't handle it. 
I honestly couldn't handle it. Yeah, it was it was an intense homecoming game. I'm glad we actually took the W. Uh, thank God, it was it was rough. I think Mike Bobo definitely hit it on its nose. Not pretty. Definitely ugly. Very very ugly. It it was just a moment where you have a kicker who missed literally the shortest possible field goal you could take, and he missed it. And then instead of driving down the field to score a touchdown, his strategy was to give the ball to the kicker again from a farther distance to where everyone said, this is it. This is where we lose. But uh, he was able to get right through the uprights. Scared me a little bit. I thought I was going to get blocked, but it did not. And um, we asked uh, Mike Bobo as well about that strategy. He goes, well, I don't say I don't talk to the kickers before they go out, and I don't talk to them afterwards. <laughs> they, they just do their thing. All right, that sounds... Like an odd plan, but okay. Yeah, I don't know how much I would trust that strategy. Yeah, he talked about how his punter like kicked it uh, inbounds instead of outbounds like he wanted, and they ran it all the way back for a touchdown. And he said, yeah, I guess Ryan, which is the punter, Ryan Stonehouse, ran off to the sideline without me seeing him because he didn't want to get an earful. I went, all right, that's fair enough, <laughs> I guess. So we kind of got lucky is what I'm getting from all this. I... I I would say all skill. I, <laughs> I would say luck. I mean, it, it it was fortunate. Yes, we shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Um, but luckily, the the kicker was skilled enough to to make it when it really mattered and where it counted. Um, but the biggest thing out of this game, uh, out of all of it, is the fact that our defense did a fantastic job. Whether you thought so or not, New Mexico is was one of three teams in college football to put up 30-plus points three games in a row. And the only time where they didn't put up 40-plus points in their season was against Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. who was at that time ranked 15th in the nation. So CSU and Wisconsin, who's nationally ranked, held New Mexico to less than 20 points, which is high standard coming from a team that lost to an FCS team a couple weeks ago. And by that logic, CSU could beat Wisconsin. So that means we're ranked number 14 in the U.S. Go Rams! Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What are your your predictions for the Boise game then, Ray? Uh, It's going to be difficult, I think, in in my mind. Boise is consistently one of the top teams in the Mountain West, and they had just very good recruiting top players uh, in their region as well as from California uh, and even Washington. They're doing a fantastic job with that. And plus, it's also in Boise. The last home game, the uh, not last home game, but the last away game that the Rams had was in San Jose State, which is one of the worst teams. Uh, we did win. However, we gave up 30 points in just one quarter, which something against Boise State cannot happen. Um, I think the the defense is, is still figuring it out. They showed flashes of, of their talent and potential uh, during New Mexico. Uh However, they need to show much better poise and, and consistency against Boise State. Um, as much as I would love for Colorado State to get a win in Boise against Boise State, I think Boise State's going to take this one. I mean, have you seen their field? It's blue. Smurf That's turf. true. That is very Smurf true. Turf. Uh, it will be a fun game, though. It'll be a, I think, in my personal opinion, it'll be a high-scoring game uh, with KJ Carr-Samuels doing a fantastic job being ranked 17th among all quarterbacks in college football. And Preston Williams being ranked seventh in receptions amongst all wide receivers in college football. But it's really 
in terms of how when our defenses can perform and when they're going to force turnovers and when they're going to make stops is going to decide that factor. As long as the offense continues to score and, and the defense can make stops, we have a chance. But with it being in Boise and having home field advantage for Boise State, I think the Broncos will take this one. The you Broncos? Mean, wait, is that what Boise's called? Yeah, the Boise State Broncos. Oh. Mm-hmm. I just thought you got confused and meant like Denver for a second. No, it's a, it's a Boise State Broncos. Broncos. So see, well, this shows how little I know about football. And <laughs> this is why we have Ray come in. I was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, that's why we have Ray. Thank you, Ray, for being here with all your sports knowledge. <laughs> of course. All right. I know you all have been waiting since the start of the show. When 4 p.m. rolls around, you just can't wait for the end of it to get to the weather. And I'm here to rock your socks off with some great meteorological information pertaining to uh, the local Fort Collins area. And in case you didn't know, it's going to be nice and sunny. Almost 60 degrees tomorrow. You already knew today was nice, nice and sunny. High 55, and I loved it. Perfect flannel weather to cruise in your fall tunes. Feel like you're living a hipster paradise. (laughs) Gosh. Thursday is going to be equally as nice, even peaking higher than Wednesday at a solid 58 degrees. But be careful because that morning's still going to be chilly. Not freezing chilly, but chilly chilly at 39. (laughs) So you're going to need to bundle up with a good hoodie and uh, keep warm that way. But you're going to have to shed it in the afternoon because you're going to be sweating when that sun comes out. Thank you, JD. That That was lovely. (laughs) <laughs> all right and after, so that, <laughs> after that lovely lovely weather segment that is all we have for the review today but thank you to our lovely listeners for sticking with us as well as our reporters katie otter raven kohler and mia sawaya thank you to our sports director ray mcgowan for his lovely analysis as well as our two interviews stephanie fernandez from club pilates and jeffrey valdez to talk about our a alumni beer and thank you jd and thank you emily of course that's what we're here for this was the rocky mountain review be sure to be back here on thursday at four we'll be here again you're listening to kcsu fort collins 